everyone. Well, here we are again. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You, you got to love that uh, excitement in my voice, right, John? It's uh, we're five. The, the Bengals are five and seven now. We're right in the middle of a one and six stretch, and uh, yeah, it's Cincinnati Bengals football at its best or worst. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined with John Sheeran. John, how you doing? Are you are you? I don't know. I I. I I don't know. How are you feeling after that one uh, that we witnessed this last week? Uh, it's it's predictable at this point. Um, I think it just just at this point, I think a lot of our like like all of our concerns that we had at the beginning of the season are just materializing right in front of our eyes. And you know, it's at some point you you got to think stuff like this is like cyclical, just in the season. But at this point, it just I don't know, man. It's it, it, it's it's just rough to keep watching the same thing over and over, and it's literally just the same game every week after after week. And unfortunately, somehow we're we're, we're still here, and we're we're still trying to talk about what, what what they can do to salvage this season. But at this point, um, damn, that was really morbid. Yeah, yeah. a lot, of, a lot of that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of on tap tonight. Um, we're gonna we've got a question of the night that we put out on Twitter. It's about head coaching options. I know it may seem a little far fetched at this point um, to talk about Marvin Lewis potentially being gone, but we'll talk about that about some head coaching options. And as I mentioned to my co-host on the, the the terrible thing about Twitter and polls that you put out there, you only give four options, and there are a number of options that seem pretty interesting. NFL coaching ranks, both currently unemployed uh, at the college ranks. There's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different people out there that could interest the Bengals if, big if, they let Marvin Lewis go after this season. Um, interesting four games coming up, at least for from a, a head coaching standpoint and a staff standpoint for 2019. I mean, uh, theoretically, if the Bengals went out, they could be nine and seven and sniff the playoffs. But by the way, they're playing. That doesn't even seem anywhere close to a realistic possibility. And, John, you kind of said same thing every week. Yes and no. I mean, same result, but it, it comes in just different ways, right? I mean, it's like uh, now it's backup players. It's more injuries. We'll get to that in just a second. I wanted to start, and we will take calls, texts, emails, tweets, all that kind of the live YouTube chat. If you want to leave questions, we're going to get to questions at the end of the show. I wanted to get to this. This was a caller that actually called last week, John. Uh, hopefully, I can get this audio on the on the program here. But caller from last week, it was Robert. And uh, Robert's a longtime fan. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to Robert's call last week because we had a number of different calls and uh, just a really busy, really busy show last week. Uh, but I wanted to get to this voicemail i thought it was very interesting um let's let's cue it up here and hopefully we can uh there we go Marvin Lewis, you know, in the past he's done well, he's 
that was from Robert, a a listener of the program and longtime Bengals fan. And you know, I I don't normally like to play voicemails and all that kind of stuff on on the air, but uh, that one really resonated with me, and that one showed a lot of passion, a lot of uh, anger. And, and the reason I play that is because John, I think I think you and I can relate. And and to be honest with you, as I mentioned. This voicemail was sent before this loss against the Broncos. So, <laughs> hey, he, another, knew he knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, add another loss to that, and all of a sudden, um, you know, th- there's probably some more there. Thank you for the voicemail there. Uh, very passionate. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, that, that the comments there resonate and the criticisms resonate. And we'll talk about what happened on Sunday in just a second, John. You put up a post on CincyJungle.com that I think kind of plays into this voicemail a little bit about Andrew Whitworth being lowballed um, when he was hitting free agency. You know, that along with the indoor practice facility, along with some of the other criticisms of what was brought up in that voicemail there, when they when the Bengals start losing, all of a sudden it's really easy to point to some of these shortcomings as a franchise. Whereas when they're winning, they're you know they're getting 10, 11 wins a year as they did in through twenty eleven and twenty through twenty fifteen. You know you kind of put that that stuff aside. Now it's pretty easy to point that stuff out, right? Yeah, and I think that is a testament to how powerful and impactful actual talent is and good assistant coaching is when the Bengals don't have either, which is pretty much the case right now, things kind of fall apart because as Robert so eloquently uh, explained in his voicemail, the, the, the expectations are just different for the Cincinnati Bengals compared to any other team in the NFL. Because when you just look at the basic facts and how they're operating and how they're run, they're, they're just not in the same atmosphere, the stratosphere as some of the best, some of the best teams, in the NFL and just their, overall philosophies and just their overall way of running things. So when the Bengals, you know, are have 15 guys on injured reserve, their depth is completely depleted and they don't have the proper depth in the first place to handle those kinds of injuries. Things just fall apart because they have an average head coach right now. They don't have good assistants that they can rely on like Marvin Lewis has in the past. And just these, these same weaknesses get exploited week in and week out because they just don't have an answer to it because they're just, because I think it was Robert was kind of alluding to, there's just a certain level that we've come to expect with the Bengals because of just the way that they are. And when things go bad, they get tumultuously worse because they don't have that base just from an organizational standpoint, they kind of stand upon and kind of regather themselves in these crisis situations. And then things kind of snowball just like what they're doing right now. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great point about what you, what you said with the quality assistance and uh, you know, the, at times, Marvin Lewis, and, and it is to his credit, as as Robert mentioned in the voicemail there, it is sometimes to his credit, but it's also to the credit of gathering some good assistant coaches as well. There are times where Marvin Lewis has been able to mask this stuff, the, 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 the supposed cheap approach in free agency and just in general with the team, the lack of an indoor facility, the, uh, you know, basic, the basic cutting of corners that yeah. this team has shown that other teams don't. And he's been able to mask that stuff in the form of division 
crowns and all that kind of stuff. So you got to give them some credit. But there are times when the Bengals kind of, after after they taste some success, they kind of stumble onto their own two feet, if you will. And now you see the results that we've been seeing, not only in 2018, but all the way back now to 2016. The Bengals are staring their third straight losing season in the face. And there's a lot of change and upheaval that needs to be had. And who knows? We've talked about this on the show before, John. I mean, I don't even know if we can trust the franchise and who's in control to to make those wide sweeping changes. And, and to me, if I'm ownership, I, I just don't understand how you can accept the cutting of corners and accept being, I mean, because it is a business being less than wanting to be the best or one of the best in your respective field. This is going to be a breaking point or not a breaking point, but just a, a very interesting point in time for us just as just football fans in general to observe how they sell this team in the offseason. If they bring back the majority of the same staff, majority of the same players that have been a part of this three-year failure following the 2015 playoff loss, like, I don't know, I don't know how they're going to be able to sell it to the fan base to keep those season tickets rolling in, but it's going to be, it's going to have to be some masterful craftsmanship and, and marketing strategy from this team. And, I think it's been impressive how they've been able to, um, you know, manipulate this fan base and to keep believing in, in that this same strategy is going to work year after year and ends up not doing it. They come out with a new catchphrase and put it on a shirt. Marvin Lewis utters it in the press conference. Bam. We got the optimism again. I don't, I, I just feel like this is kind of the year if they don't do anything to kind of shift away from what they're doing, it's going to be a near impossible task to bring that optimism. And I think we're going to see if nothing happens, you know, it, a similar lack of uh, fan support and attendance that we saw from the beginning of that 2011 season after the whole 2010 debacle and all that kind of stuff. And at, at that point, they're, they're not going to have the youth and rejuvenated, refreshed revival of that of that roster that we saw in 2011. We're going to see the, the, the same retread, you know, veterans and old faces and probably not a not a very lucrative free agency class in the process. So uh, how they sell it, if, if they don't change anything, is going to be it's going to have to be an act of God if they're going to be able to fill that stadium at the beginning of the season, if they don't do anything about it. Yeah. And, and they're, if they do not change anything, coaching staff or approach or both, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to point to the injuries. I think that's, that's what's going to take place. Um, and we'll talk about a, a major injury and some news on that front a little bit later in the show. We do have a question of the night that we'll get to in just a second, but if you want to vote to vote on it, on Twitter at Bengals OBI or comment on it either on cincyjungle.com in the comment thread or in our live YouTube chat. You can do that. Um, basically, the question of the week or the question of this episode, uh, coaching options that intrigues you the most if the Bengals part ways with Marvin Lewis. And again, I can't emphasize enough, big if. Um, there's there's Josh McDaniels, there's Bruce Arians, there's Mike McCarthy, there's Eric Bieniemy, there is Urban Meyer. There is, uh, you know, a bunch of guys at the college ranks you could look at. 
other retreads in the NFL. John and I will give uh, a couple of our choices here in just a little bit. But if you want to sound off on that or vote on that on, on Twitter, you are welcome to do so. The reason why I brought up Robert's voicemail and kind of what we started, what we kicked off this show with, John, is basically these decisions, these types of things with Andrew Whitworth, uh, you know, them lowballing them. And if you have not, if you have no idea what we're talking about, go read John's article on CincyJungle.com. Uh, Whitworth kind of made it some eye-opening comments on a Rams podcast lately. Uh, basically, this points to what we saw in terms of the, the team they fielded on Sunday against the Broncos, right? They, they had a handful of winning seasons, and they got supremely confident in what they were doing and how they were building their team. And they have since whiffed on a number of different picks, high picks. Um, and you saw that, unfortunately, on the offensive line mostly uh, this, this week. They thought they were grooming a, a really athletic, high-end quarterback in Jeff Driscoll. Driscoll made a couple of nice throws. And, you know, he was put in some awful positions based on offensive line play and other things happening but let's be honest, what he showed us was not – that's not NFL starter material. So um, I, I think that's the major takeaway on my front, at least this week, John. Your takeaway on Driscoll, you also wrote a, a really good post, I thought, on uh, – was it Billy Price? This or It was kind of the, the weekly lineman I think you did, right? It was the uh, rookie, yeah. 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 Um, and Price had, had a bad day. And, and, you know, we look to – I mentioned first-round picks, high picks. Jake Fisher on IR. It's gotten so bad with Cedric Abwehi, who is a backup tackle, that not only did the Bengals sign Andre Smith last week, but they moved Clint Bowling over from guard to left tackle. He struggled at left tackle predictably. Abwehi's on the bench. Disaster all around. Your takeaways, I guess, if if there are uh, too much that we haven't already addressed, John. Uh, I feel like at the beginning of the, of the game, they kind of they tried their hardest to mask um, the lack of cohesion on the offensive line by having a lot of uh, play action rollouts for Driscoll to try to get to try to limit the amount of true pass protection reps from that offensive line with a lot of those guys playing out of position. And at at, at the first part, you know, Driscoll was wasn't being asked to push the ball down the field. A very conservative approach from Bill Lazor in terms of offensive play calling. And again, like we saw, you know, a, a lack of consistently using Mixon, just not only as a runner, but as a weapon. I think he only had 14 touches and two of them were catches. Uh, they used Giovanni Bernard out of the backfield a decent amount. But again, when you had A.J. Green go down in the beginning of the second quarter, you know, you had, you know, a, a couple or a handful of targets go to Boyd. But again, you know, the offense kind of, you know, threw their hands up and asked, what did we do? And they didn't really have an answer for that. Once the game started swaying towards more towards the Broncos' favor, once the Bengals' defense didn't exactly, you know, um, the, yeah, the Bengals' defense didn't exactly keep it up, keep up their pace. You know, Philip Lindsay kind of ran all over them towards the end. Then you had Driscoll push the ball down the field, and you kind of saw what I think a lot of us expected. You know, you had those handful of, of throws to Boyd over the middle, where he kind of set, you know, settled, settled into the pocket, you know didn't get phased much by the pressure in front of his face and made a good throw. 
But at the same time, for every one of those throws, there was a head scratcher throw where you like tripped up, you know, rolling out of play action. You had that awful overthrow that led to an interception and a few more turnover worthy throws as well. So it was a it was about what we should have expected from Driscoll, you know, some good plays, but you know, mass encountered by some awful plays in the process and just a general offensive scheme that clearly didn't trust him to make, you know, the, the those multi-read type of progressions and throws. And, you know, just in general, if you're going to if you're going to game plan for that as your quarterback against a very solid defense, the Broncos, it's not exactly a, a recipe for winning. And I think, you know, we, we've talked about it so many times when this offense is dealing with adversary, they just shy away from Mixon for whatever reason. And that was just another case for this week. And until we see it not happen, I think we just got to expect that it's going to happen every single week. And that's just the nature of a Bill Laser of a Bill Laser offense. Yeah, I think I think Mixon ended twelve for eighty-two uh, in terms of rushing. Number a number of nice runs, and mm-hmm. for some reason he was. You got your backup quarterback in. You've got backup offensive linemen in, and you're you're shuffling things around. You kind of figure, why don't we really try and use the run game? That didn't happen. You had the offensive line again. I I, I don't want to sit here and say Jeff Driscoll played awful because he really did not. Um, the team put him in a lot of precarious positions, both in not running the football. And I think, I think the Bengals hit a nice dozen penalties on the day. A lot of which were on the offensive line and in, in the form of false starts and holds and all that kind of stuff that puts him in a bad position. It basically they needed almost everything to go right this week in order to come out with a win and, and put Jeff Driscoll in a comfortable position. And they did not do that. Um, which is unfortunate. And, uh, you know, there were also a number of key drops by, by receivers uh, that would have resulted in, in first downs that had either killed drives or resulted in turnovers or what have you. So there was just stuff that those are kind of my takeaways. There were mistakes that affected your backup quarterback. There, there was, as you mentioned, questionable play calling that affected the backup quarterback who was, who was forced to start. So that didn't help. And then, you know, just not only this week, but last week, you know, I I think the Bengals combined for 25 penalties the past two weeks at home. Uh, That's inexcusable. And Marvin Lewis put out a, a, you know, he said something to Jeff Hobson or the, or the media saying, you know, it's, it's young guys. Well, I mean, some of them are inexperienced if that's what you meant by quote unquote young, but, a lot of them are, are made by veteran guys and they're just dumb penalties and, and getting false starts and those kinds of procedure penalties at home. To me, that's, that's mental and that's inexcusable. Uh, that's, that's just. You, yeah. You, you definitely drop like an RKO on Marvin Lewis with that one sweep. <laughs> I thought so. I, I, uh, elbow, elbow from the top rope. Right. Um, that, that was kind of my, uh, my, my takeaway there. Uh, just kind of continuing a little bit on Driscoll. For you, John, does this solidify basically? Because Lewis, before the game, I think he said he made some sort of comment that every team is looking for an Andy Dalton. They are always in search of an Andy Dalton. And that is, you know, go around the league and talk to GMs. Hey, these aren't my words, folks. Just <laughs> just to clarify, these are Marvin Lewis's words. I think I think to a degree that is correct. I think teams are looking for a capable quarterback, a guy that that can start and win games for you, which Andy Dalton has proven to do. But does this game and Driscoll's performance does that kind of say, you know what, maybe we've been a little too hard on Andy, or does all of it, including Dalton's injury, Dalton's lapses in big games, 
and the shortcomings we discussed about this franchise, does that point to you, you got to just luck into a trans- transcendent talent at that position at this point? Well, well, that is the nature of the NFL right now. Like, right. You have teams sacrificing all their assets to move up in the draft to get that next big thing at quarterback. We've seen it in the past handful of drafts now. But I hear that every team is looking for an Indy Dalton. What, I'm, what I think about is I think about who Andy Dalton is as a quarterback, a very average one, plays well in structure, doesn't let the, you know, you know, d- doesn't exactly collapse at this point in his career, but doesn't exactly elevate your team. He's, he's able to co- kind of come into the game and just, you know, operate the scheme that's bestowed up- upon him and just keep the team in the game, but not exactly take them over to the top of where they need to be. If that's what he was trying to say, then that kind of sounds like a backup quarterback to me personally, or just, <laughs> just, a, just a quote unquote game manager, which yeah. is a little outdated terms in the history of football right now. Jeff Joskol is not, is like like we talked about it last week, you know, he's not that cut from that same kind of cloth. He's going to take more risks. He's going to play more out of structure, and as a result, he's going to play with more variance. That's exactly what we saw against the solid Denver Broncos team. And yeah, I, I think that you know, injecting Driscoll into an offense where Andy Dalton could succeed, presumably with with health, would, would net them some different results in different kind of areas in this offense, which is completely battered beyond belief at this point. You know, Driscoll was obviously going to have some rough patches in the process. It, he was going to shine that, you know, that raw arm talent athleticism, but not to the extent where it would take them over the top to beat a team that they were clearly worse than in the Denver Broncos. And like you said, they needed everything to go right. They needed Driscoll to play out of his mind, and he played exactly how we expected him to play, and the result was exactly what we expected it to be. Yeah, I you know, I, I think just and, – and that's what Marvin, both Marvin Lewis and I guess even, you know – Carson Palmer tried to do when they first both came in hand in hand to this, to this franchise, it was outside guy from a head coaching perspective, Heisman trophy winning quarterback, you know, the best, best guy in the draft. Let's, let's see if we can win games and get past the hurdles that Mike Brown places in front of us from an organizational standpoint. And, you know, potentially as you win games and things change and all that kind of stuff, you can potentially start swaying the owner, which I think Marvin Lewis did a little bit of, but it's still not where it needs to be. But Bengals lose to uh, the Broncos 24-10, just a a pretty ugly game all around in terms of penalties and and (laughs) guys who were forced into – different roles and, and extended playing time. It just was not, uh, not the kind of product that we, we should have been forced to witness, I guess, <laughs> is, uh, is probably the, the nicer way to put it. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, and on CincyJungle.com. We appreciate you joining us on a on a different evening this week, and thanks to you as well, John. Uh, this was in part of my schedule, so uh, we had to record on a different night. But uh, I appreciate both John and uh, the listeners accommodating. Uh, but please download the show how and where you can. We're going to get to our question of the night in just a few minutes. Again, if you're just joining us live, the question of the night or the question of the week is uh, some head coaching candidates that could 
intrigue you if Marvin Lewis is going to be let go of his job. We don't know for sure if that's going to be the case, but some signs are pointing to that being the case. We'll see. Um, with this franchise, you never know. But there are a number of different coaches out there um, at the college ranks and in the pros that could come in here and potentially make a difference for the Bengals. So um, we'll get to that in just a second. Just to kind of close the book a little bit on what transpired last week and uh, bridging that topic into into things going forward in 2019 and beyond. You mentioned AJ Green obviously re-aggravated that toe injury. He now has to have surgery, torn ligaments in the toe, should be ready in the spring to go for workouts and all of that stuff. I, I think all of us are, are still pretty confident in the fact that even though he would now be entering his ninth season next year, and has uh, had a couple of injuries the past couple of seasons after being so durable. AJ Green, um, now you know entering his ninth year, ninth year coming off of toe surgery, he's there for Cincinnati. And then behind him, John Ross, he's been up and down, and I think that's being generous. Tyler Boyd's had a breakout year, but he will be entering. Uh, the final year of his deal next year. You have Cody core who dropped another, I think at least one, if not two passes last week, he did have the, the touchdown catch, which was nice to see from him, but the Bengals refused to play out and tape. Alex Erickson doesn't really give you much in terms of an offensive threat. So where I'm going with this, John is what's ahead for this group next year and, and in the coming years? I mean, is this something yet again, even though there's a top five pick, a top 10 pick, and a second round pick as your potentially your top three receivers, is this a, a position that needs to be addressed again this next offseason? Uh, potentially, but nothing more with, with at, from what, I think, what I'm thinking right now, nothing more than like a third or fourth round pick. Right. I, I think that if, the, if these groups of receivers were to be given – a quarterback that could enhance their talents to a certain degree, we would see some slightly better production. And I think obviously the, the, you know, the gap between establishing that chemistry that they already have with Dalton to a new, to a new quarterback would, would then take some time and maybe we could see some development in some of the young, younger guys in that sense. But I, I, I think, in, I think in today's NFL, you got to get the quarterback right. And then the receivers, as long as they have some raw talent with them, they'll kind of follow suit. And I think that they have, some of that, at least a good amount of that raw talent already on the roster. They could do with one more sure to push, you know, core off the roster or just keep six with Auden Tate in there. But AJ Green leading it, you know, presu- always assuming that he's healthy, always assuming he's going to be ready to play. Tyler Boy is your two. John Ross is your three going in at least into 2019. I think that's a good enough core for at least an above average quarterback to take advantage of. And obviously, Dalton is almost with 100% certainty, going to start there for 2019. So we should just probably just uh, cl- cl- clear that um, cl- clear that up. We should probably just clear it up right now. But I think with them all healthy, I think it should be enough. But at some point, you got to say, you know, it's going to be now or never for Malone into next year. They're probably going to want to get Boyd under contract. And and obviously, they're not going to. I, at least we wouldn't want Cora to be on the roster for next year either. So I think just maybe one, maybe one or two more guys with like a mid-round pick with some upside, I think that would be enough to kind of solidify it. But I think there is still, you know, work mall- mall- malleable talent there to work with. And I think if they were given a better quarterback, we wouldn't 
be kind of as rough on them as we kind of are at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, first of all, I was not advocating if the Bengals do end up with a top ten, top fifteen pick this year. Yeah, yeah. I was not, I was not advocating for that. But I, I just, I, you look at it, and all of a sudden, you know, a position group we were very excited about coming into this year: uh, Green, Boyd, Ross. You know, there's just there's more question marks now than there were a couple of months ago. Now there there's also a, a bigger exclamation point in Boyd because he has surpassed expectations, I think, by most people. But uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. I, I have been very disappointed in Josh Malone. I thought that was a guy that would really take a nice step this year, even as a number four guy or or what have you. But he's been hurt. He hasn't been used and. Um, you know, he's one of those height, height, weight, speed guys, and um, just has not. Uh, he's still got a little time, but um, that's a guy that I, I was hoping was going to take a nice step this year, and, and really has not shown very much. But you know, I, I, I don't want to say an overhaul is is due there. I mean, Alex Erickson brings value as a special teamer. He had a critical fumble last week, which basically turned the entire tide of the game. But that's a rarity. And he just isn't bringing much on offense. John Ross, I think he's, you know, still under 20 catches at this point in the season. So he's grabbed the touchdowns, but um, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I think I agree with you to a certain extent about the quarterback, but that, that's, a, that's a position that I feel that they should be getting more out of with or without A.J. Green in the lineup. Um, there's still some heavy investments in that position group, and they're not, they're not stepping up, which is uh, – which is not fun to see. And hopefully AJ green comes back to spearhead that group. Uh, we all expect he will. Uh, he's bounced back well from, from injuries that he's sustained. Um, luckily none of them have been of the, the knee ilk, but um, you know, he's, he's bounced back and he, he is a superstar player. It's just unfortunate. He's, he's had a couple of seasons recently cut short um, when the team has needed him. And uh, you know, Nothing really he could do about that. And the last time <laughs> when he played, and uh, it was a lot when he played a full game last time. The last time he did that, it was the last time the Bengals won a game against Tampa Bay, and he injured himself at the end of that game. Which, as we all know, the Bengals had a big lead, let it go, and uh, they were forced to drive down the field at the end of the game, and that's when he hurt himself. So, um, kind of the microcosm of 2018, if you will. We're going to start taking your questions in just a little bit, so give us a call or a text, 949-542-6241. You can get in touch with us, um, or you can get uh, in touch with us in the live YouTube chat. So hit us up with your questions or comments there, as well as on Twitter at BanglesOBI. We do have a poll up. Uh, for the question of the week. So uh, definitely want to hear from you on that. And it's our turn to talk about that, John. The Bengals are at a crossroads with Marvin Lewis, as we, as we all know. And uh, a report surfaced Sunday that it turns out that the second year of his contract is actually an option year, that the, that the team can exercise not to have him back if they, if they so choose. We thought it was just kind of a standard two-year deal, but um, not does not appear to be the case. And now, like he was last year, Marvin Lewis might be fighting for his job, and who knows if you know a, a couple of late-season wins will save him. But 
there are there is a chance that he could not be the team's coach next year. This was kind of a critical year for the team, and uh, it has it started off great, and it is subsequently blown up in everybody's faces. So, of I'm, I'm going to ask you this: there there are a number of head coaching options out there that could be intriguing. Um, some are retread guys that had some success and then you know got fired after a couple of poor seasons or retired. Uh, there are some college coaches that are unproven at the NFL level. So give me, if you can, give me one pro name, and that could be someone who either fizzled out as a head coach elsewhere or is looking to be a first-time head coach that in the NFL ranks. And give me one college guy that you are thinking of that could be good fits for the Bengals. So it, if our the two names that I would name, obviously – wouldn't be likely candidates for the Bengals because I think it goes against what they would look for in a new face of the franchise. And for the NFL, you know, I I, I think all over the league in the next handful of years, we're going to see teams try their best to find the next Sean McVay. And that's going to lead to potentially some bad hires because they're kind of overvaluing, you know, someone who might be, you know, under 40 years old, has done a lot with you know what whatever uh, offensive talent that he's been given, and it could could lead to some bad some some bad hires. But I feel like the Bengals are in that position that they have to take that risk. I don't think it's a risk that they're going to take. But a guy like Eric Benemy, who I think a lot of fans have talked about, you know, the offense coordinator for the Chiefs, uh, a technical disciple of the Andy Reid system. I think he's about as best as we can possibly expect because he has the connection with the organization because he did um, he was a part of it so many years ago has worked his way up to an offense coordinator and one of the very best offenses in the NFL has elevated or has been a part of elevating uh, the town that is Patrick Mahomes. I think that, you know, him knowing what he can work with in terms of scheme, in terms of talent, giving him full reins of just building the offense into the next century at this point, is kind of like that best chance to go. And it's like the exact opposite of what you would get in like a Mike McCarthy, who is a former head coach and, you know, has a very outdated offense. And I think that's kind of the synopsis of, you know, what they need to do. They, they don't need someone who's been, who has been a head coach and has recently, you know, fizzled out or failed in whatever resort. They need someone fresh. They need someone who's looking for the next opportunity. And when you look at the college game, you know, you have all sorts of guys who at this point, you know, if you're, if you're a college head coach and you get inquired about coaching the Cincinnati Bengals, it's, it's like a question of, why would I give up all this power and all, and all this authority as a, as a coach, a recruiter, and such an influential part of an esteemed university to go and coach and be an employee under, Mar- or under Mike Brown? It, it would be extremely unlikely that a- any you know, high-profile college head coach or offense coordinator would, would take that risk. But if I, would, if, if I would want to be anybody, I think right now it would be Lincoln Riley, who not only you know, got the very best of the Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma, but now – has gotten a form, a future baseball player, Kyler Murray, to perform as like probably the next Heisman. It's, good. it's very likely that Oklahoma is going to have back-to-back Heisman-winning quarterbacks, and I think uh, obviously Lincoln Riley has a substantial part of that. You know, torching Big Twelve defenses like no we haven't seen in the past you know decade, even though the Big Twelve isn't that isn't much of a defensive juggernaut. But I think that he's kind of that same you know type of prototype that the NFL is going to be looking for and try to emulate what the Rams are doing. And I think at this point he would be my favorite option out of the college ranks. Now that Cliff Kinsbury is with your with your team USC, now that that's official, he's off the books. 
I think Lincoln Riley is going to be the going to be the next guy for me. Yeah, I saw uh, someone in the YouTube chat. Um, let me see who it was. Uh, Kentucky Ron said Cliff Kingsbury. He's not like you said. He's not going to. Um, he's going to SC. So um, you know and that's a good that's a good hire for SC, especially as he'll be Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator in twenty twenty. What's that for you? He'll be he'll be Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator in twenty twenty. <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, a lot of people in who who probably listen to this podcast um, are Urban Meyer guys, are Ohio State guys, and that's that is part of what prompted us to to ask this question is because you know the Ohio State apparently found its replacement, and Urban Meyer is retiring uh, from Ohio State after this year. But we've seen Urban Meyer walk away from football when he was with the University of Florida, and uh, he came back to Ohio State. So you never know. He could come back. So you said college rank Lincoln Riley and uh, pro rank Eric Bieniemy, correct? Okay. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, for those who don't know, uh, actually played for the Bengals. So there's a connection there. He played for them for four seasons from 1995 to 1998. And, uh, you know, those are the glory years of, of Bengals football, by the way. Um <laughs> He not, was also given one of the best nicknames ever by Chris Berman of ESPN, Eric Sleeping with Bianami. I thought that was a great one. But um, intelligent guy, very creative, obviously, from, from what he's done with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so I, I think that uh, I think that Eric Bianami would make a lot of sense, and he knows – the Bengals. He knows Mike Brown. I think that that in itself makes you know makes quite a bit of sense. I think you bring up a valid point, John, about a potential issue with you know what coaches would want to maybe come to Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. But I, and I think that Bianami knowing the, the Cincinnati culture, maybe that's a deterrent. But knowing the Cincinnati culture, knowing Mike Brown, being a former Bengals player. Um, you know, I think he could be a a, a guy that, um, you know, they look at and, and he cuts his teeth as a first-time head coach, maybe with the Bengals. We'll see. I There's there's a couple guys I look at. Um, I guess from the, you know, we talk about Josh McDaniels, you know, the Patriots coaching tree. I, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of that. Um, I, I think that that's, you know, the whole the whole system thing. Um, I think that that's there's a little bit of an overrated aspect there. Uh, I I will say I'm intrigued by Bruce Arians, believe it or not. Um, I, I think he has experience with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, he was an offensive coordinator there and and had uh, you know had some success there. Took over for Chuck Pagano and had a great run as a coach there. Had some great seasons with the Arizona Cardinals with Carson Paul. So there's a lot of connections that just kind of make sense to me. Um, and apparently, and if anything, it'll get him out of the booth because if you've heard him announce, oy, oy, oy. Um, no offense, Bruce, I'm sure I couldn't do any better, but, uh, uh, but I think that he probably is chomping at the bit to come back at the right opportunity if the Bengals come back with some healthy players, he may look at, you know, Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap, maybe even Andy Dalton, uh, AJ Green. He could look at that and say, you know, the core is there. 
let's tweak some things, bring in some of my guys and, um, you know, go from there. I, I like the idea. It's always about beating the Steelers in this division and, and in the playoffs to me. So I, you know, if you've got a guy who's intimately familiar with that organization and, and what to do there, I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, I realize Arians doesn't have some of the track records as a Super Bowl winner like McCarthy or, you know, even McDaniels as an assistant winning Super Bowls. But I like that. Another guy I really like, and I've I've said this before, and he doesn't get the the run that a lot of guys in in college get, is David Shaw of Stanford. Um, I I think he's a, I think he's extremely intelligent. He's carried the torch at Stanford from Jim Harbaugh. And they've been a very competitive team, a very, you know, unfortunately for some of those Ivy League-ish schools or those high academic schools like Stanford, like Notre Dame, you know, for periods of time, it's hard to get. I mean, these are, for the most part, the kids focus a lot on academics. That may not be the case at some other schools. Hate to say it. <laughs> um, but it's the truth. And somehow he not only runs a, a really tight program, a, a team that um, consistently sniffs the Rose Bowl and Pac-12 champions. He's just, he seems to be a very sharp guy. If you watch him on the NFL Network during the draft, he's usually on that. And he has a good read on a lot of the players coming out. He's just a guy I have a lot of respect for. And um, he's not the most rah-rah guy. He's not the most yelly, in-your-face guy. Um, but he he's brought kind of it's he's brought a couple of different approaches to Stanford football. One, there is some creativity where you can use guys like a Christian McCaffrey and he was able to do that. Uh, but he's also done the ground and pound stuff and he's gotten creative on defense with certain players. Uh, a lot of edge rusher guys that have entered the NFL. And uh, you know, I just, I think there's a lot there from, from David Shaw that, that, uh, could be could point to success in the NFL level. So those are two guys that I like. I don't. Do you have any thoughts about Shaw? I don't know if you follow him too much, John, based on region. But no, no, no. I definitely know Shaw because you know watching him on the draft is is a treat. And I think with um, at least for Shaw, I don't know about Arians, but you know, regardless of what scheme they potentially run or what what, what how they you know, build a roster, whatever. I think what's most important in this day and age, you know, for coaching the NFL is the adaptability in terms of just overall, you know, philosophy and just, just kind of how you just kind of manage things, whatever. And you have the most stubborn head coach in the history of the world and Marvin Lewis stuck in his ways and, you know, not deviating and therefore progress has um, yet, yet to be seen. And then you have guys like Frank Reich who, you know, took over the Colts and just kind of, just kind of, you know, kept an open mind about what, what they have there and just, you know, saw what they needed, addressed those issues, you know, instantly and just kind of built the, built the whole team and the offense around what strengths and weaknesses that they had. And now the Colts are looking like, you know, they're, they're ahead of whatever um, number of years rebuild that they were originally on. So if Shaw or at least a, you know, a first time NFL head coach comes into a role like head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, with just this fresh and open mind and adaptability to kind of, you know, rework what the roster is now and take advantage of whatever talent that they have left. I think that's almost maybe the most crucial part of that. It's that investment in the organization 
in and in the talent that's already there, but has the you know the recognition to understand what they need to do differently and how they need to be so much different than who than the guy that they're replacing. So our updated poll results, at least on Twitter, uh, 22%. And again, I was only able to put up four options, and one of them is other. <laughs> so 22% says Josh McDaniels, 33% said Bruce Arians, 22% said Mike McCarthy, 23% said other. So Arians is winning out, um, but not by a ton. And in the live YouTube chat, I'm looking um, – Zachary Stemple says, wouldn't mind Shaw. Um, Anthony Hart says, we're going to have both Harbaugh's in the AFC North. Well, I'd, I'd welcome Jim Harbaugh in Cincinnati, but I imagine Jim Harbaugh trying to get along with Mike Brown. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, I'm not surprised at all about the, the, the lack of support of McCarthy. And I think, a lot yeah, of people, yeah. That, that I was going to go there. Go for it. I, I think a lot of people were also turned off by the way McDaniel's handled, uh, you know, accepting the Colts job, and then hearing from the Patriots about, you know, how he's essentially the, like the de facto Belichick replacement. So if if McDaniel's doesn't want to leave, you know, New England for you know the the Colts and Andrew Luck, I just highly doubt he's going to want to leave for Cincinnati and a, and a worse class organization than Andy Dalton. So it. that's basically not even an option at this point. And I think no one wants McCarthy at this point because I think they respect what he did in the past as a head coach and the success that he had, but has realized that over the past, you know, handful of years, he just hasn't evolved in the way that Marvin Lewis hasn't evolved. And eventually Packers got tired of it. And it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I don't think it'll be in a head coaching job or at least here. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, McCarthy's got the Super Bowl, but uh, you know, um, a lot of people point to, you know, Aaron Rodgers and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Uh, Keith Brewer says Arians already said he'd only come out of retirement to coach Cleveland. Interesting. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if he specifically said that. that might, he might have. I didn't catch that. Uh, and there was another comment here. I, I'm trying to see who it was from. Um, saying that... <laughs> Gosh, where was it? It was basically saying that Arians has given out Christmas gifts to everybody in the Cleveland front office to to get that job. So uh, I apologize. I can't I can't see exactly who that was, but I thought that was a pretty funny comment. Um, it's I mean it's possible he's got he's got a number number one overall pick as a quarterback and all that kind of stuff. There is young talent there, but um, uh, I don't know. I, I and at this point, that's an interesting question. I don't know what's a better job. I don't know if if Cleveland's a better job or if Cincinnati's a better job. I, I really don't, um, especially given what we saw a couple weeks ago. So Cleveland's been a constant train wreck, but uh, Cincinnati's really trending downward. And, um, you know, you've got the Mike Brown facet, so who knows. Give us your thoughts and comments. Even after we've, we've, we're done recording, we'd still love to hear from you about which head coach you are potentially interested in replacing Marvin Lewis. We hate to be shoving Marvin out of the door with the season not yet done, but uh, I'm all right with it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we don't hate to, but it's worth discussing given some bits of news about Marvin and everything um, this, this week that we've seen. So um, 
pretty pretty interesting stuff. There are some good names at the college level and the NFL level that that should be available for the Bengals if they end up wanting to make a move. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza. He's John Sheeran. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, YouTube, and CincyJungle.com. We're going to get to listener questions here now. Uh, you can give us a call or shoot us a text, 949-542-6241, 949-542-6241, or leave your your questions in the live YouTube chat or on the uh, comment thread on cincyjungle.com. We already do have, we, we do have a, a call on the line. It is Aaron, who is from Cincinnati. Aaron, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing all right. What's on your mind tonight? What's on What's on your mind tonight? Oh yeah, uh, no, I got so much uh, that I can't even probably get it all out. If I run a little long, just cut me off whenever you need to. <laughs> all right. I wanted to comment. <laughs> I wanted to comment on a couple of things you guys were talking about uh, as far as like quarterbacks go. Uh, one of the things that was like taking them up brain there was uh, when we were talking about Martin Lewis saying everybody wasn't. Andy Dalton. I don't think anybody wanted Andy Dalton for eight years. Like, not for eight years, like maybe for a couple of seasons, as John said, maybe as a backup. But nobody wants to Andy Dalton. Nobody thinks of him as a, like, the guy to build your franchise around. So that's just complete punk. You know, I think he's just throwing that out there. Um, in regards to the game on Sunday, <laughs> I think that this, uh, you know, with, uh, <laughs> with Jeff Driscoll, it, it won't ever work with this coaching recently because the way Jeff plays is a very, like, a high-risk, high-reward kind of deal. And you kind of got to keep chasing that dragon. You know what I'm saying? If you keep up the pick on one drive, you got to keep letting him go back at it. And we, we're not that type of offense. It's, you know, you only get so many chances to do anything. And, uh, I mean, but if you, if you, if you like, look at some of the other stats in the game, we're just watching it, like, um, versus when Andy's in there, we, we often go three and out. You know what I'm saying? There's not, like, you know, did not sustain drives at all. Whereas, yeah, you know, almost until I would say it started to get out of hand around the third quarter, we were like comparable in like time of possession stats, which we normally always lose. We were competitive in yards. You know what I'm saying? And all all those other little stats that nobody really pays attention to. Like they were close. It just didn't translate to the scoreboard because of you know whatever reason penalties setting us back and all that stuff. I really feel like if we didn't have such discombobulation on that offensive line that with all the penalties, we'd probably we we put up a much better fight. It's not win the game. I, that's just me. I might be out of mind, but whatever. Um, and lastly, to touch on the coaching thing, I personally, I'm only going to get excited about a coach who I feel like will take more power from Mike Brown. So like, it would have to be a big signing that would say to me like, "Yo, Mike Brown gave like." way more control to this guy. You know what I'm saying? Because if he brings in anybody else, I really feel like it'll regress in how much he gives, you know, to somebody who isn't in a Marvin Luke. So, if it was a big name like, uh, like we were talking to Jim Harbaugh or Urban Byer, even though I'm kind of iffy about that because of the, the PR storm that he's been going into, I really don't think we need that. But if we do, I, at least I know, like, hey, that guy, he's coming in, he got some power. That's the only way that you're going to draw a guy in like that, more so than the money, just the control. So Yeah, well, thanks, but, uh, th- thanks, Aaron. We're going to take uh, these questions off the air. Good stuff, really good stuff. Call again for sure. Absolutely. 
John, a lot there. Um, and we, we got a couple of calls that uh, we, we couldn't get to. But if you want to call back, we'll try and get you on the air. We do have an open line now. But, um, John, the one I, I, I want to talk about, and he, he stopped short of saying it, but Andy Dalton is a tease, right? I mean, for lack of a better word, Andy Dalton is a guy. He's he, Think about this year. He had numerous comeback wins. Um, he also had – he set franchise records, but like he said, he's a guy you maybe want two, three years, and it's kind of the Alex Smith thing. You start to get sick of him and you want to move on. Yeah, he's like the he's like the ideal bridge quarterback because he's definitely the kind of guy that would take a young quarterback under his wings and kind of get him prepared to eventually take his job. And I think he would handle that role well, but he's exactly right. You know, he's not the quarterback that can elevate your franchise. And I think my big fear with them eventually moving on from him is taking another kind of Andy Dalton because, you know, they, they've grown comfortable with him and they've, they, they think that they can find success with him in the long run. They just think they're, un, they're unlucky in that sense. But I definitely want a, a transition to, you know, a, a more a quarterback that can actually elevate your team and, and you don't have to build a superstar team around him to eventually, you know, you know, cross the threshold that you're so desperately trying to cross. And Aaron made a lot of good points and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I really, really wish he, I really wanted to, I really wanted to tell him that there was, there's just not going to be a coach that takes away power from Mike Brown as long as Mike Brown is running. running. Well, and I, I agree with you and I'm glad you brought that part up. We've got another call we're going to get to in just a second here, but I'm glad you brought that part up because I thought that was very interesting. And I think that where, where my wheels turn on that, is that I, I totally agree with you that a new guy coming in is not going to be able to wrestle a lot of power away from Mike Brown. Not a chance. But uh, a guy who comes in and is somehow, whether it's with a transcendent quarterback or whatever, if he's able to start winning, you're going to be able to sit, have more say. And that's yeah. what happened with Marvin. And, I mean, that's, that's really the thing with any business. I mean, think about it if you're a salesman, right? and you have a sales manager and your sales manager wants you to do stuff a certain way. If you kind of do play by the rules a little bit, but you also have your own game plan and you put up excellent numbers and you have something you want to have done, or you have a strategy you want to implement, or you kind of want to do things your own way. Your sales manager's like, well, if you keep putting up the numbers, fine. Right. I mean, yeah. if you're not getting us in trouble in terms of legal, legal problems or something, and uh, you're putting up the numbers, all right, man, do it your own way. And I think that that's what, what it's going to take in terms of wrestling away power from Mike Brown. Yes, you might be able to, once he moves on, whether it's unfortunately with death or passing it along to his family members or what have you, you might get some changes there. But I think no matter who it is, it's going to have to be a coach that rides it out for a year or two yeah. under, under strict guidelines. And then if and when they're able to win, it's going to be like, hey, my, my way works my way works. And so let's, let's do things my way. I think that's what Jim Harbaugh tried to do <laughs> in San Francisco. And it, he just rubbed, rubbed people the wrong way. But uh, I, I think that's what it's going to take to wrestle away some power from Mike Brown. We have another call on the line. I believe it's from our good friend, Terrell. Terrell, how are you, sir? I'm doing, we're, well, we're doing okay. I mean, it's it's we're five and seven coming off a pretty ugly yeah. loss here, so we're doing all right. But uh, what's on your mind tonight? Yeah, yeah, no, that was some that was some trash. They said I said I don't see it. 
Yeah, not not a very good showing. But, uh, but I do I do want to just say that uh, we, we got Marvin do got to get up out of there. Yeah, Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley, Marvin That's a that's a good uh, that's a good call there. Thanks, Terrell. Appreciate you calling in as always. We'll take uh, we'll take that question off the air. Um, a lot a lot there that he talked about. We'll get to his his little question at the end there. I thought that that was a really good one. Um, the the thing that uh, I, I don't know how much value the Bengals will get if they try and trade Perfect and, and Kirkpatrick. Um, I just I don't I don't know that there's much there. Yeah, I don't think there's just much value there. Um, I, I think that uh, I, I just I think between salaries and baggage and all that stuff, I don't I don't think there's much there uh, to get. But Hall, Joseph, and uh, Pac-Man versus Denard, Jackson, and Kirkpatrick. I'm going to go with the former. I think, uh, and and unfortunately, the Bengals didn't get to keep Joseph all that long. Um, they, they basically got him for his rookie rookie deal and that was it. But, um, he and Hall were a good tandem. And then, you know, they, they played with, uh, I think they were able to play with Jones for at least the three of them played together for one year or two years, I believe. But I think that that trio, even though the other trio are, are a trio of first round picks as well. I think that, uh, Hall Joseph and Pac-Man wins out for me. What about you, John? Oh yeah, I think easily as well. I think at, for a decent stretch in time, Hall was the best slot cornerback in the NFL, and I think I don't think it was relatively close. Um, it, it, at least back in in the late two thousands, early twenty tens, Joseph was amongst the upper echelon of boundary cornerbacks, and he got paid like one when he went to Houston. He was never, I guess, an All Pro at the position, but he was always good enough to contend for the Pro Bowl. And uh, as of right now, obviously, Kirkpatrick's not exactly near that. Um, I, I, I grew sick and tired of defending Pac-Man as the person, or at least as, yeah. as a player. He had, you know, a decent, he had a decent career with the Bengals for sure, and he definitely, you know, was a figure in the locker room that, at the very least, guys kind of look, kind of look to for on the field leadership and that kind of stuff. So as a first cornerback, you know, he was pretty, he was pretty decent, and, and up until he fell off the cliff as a player. But yeah, definitely Hall and Joseph, that duo alone, that kind of sells me, even though. 
Jackson is a, is a, is a very good player and Kirkpatrick is at least, you know, average at this point in his career. Yeah. Jonathan Joseph's still doing it. He had an interception yeah. last week against Cleveland. Um, still not the player he was probably at the, the, the prime of his career, probably in, you know, 2009 with the Bengals or 2011, 2012 with the Texans, but um, still brings it still playing for him. And uh, you know, he's had a good little career. Mostly with the Texans, but a good chunk of it with the Bengals as well. We're going to get out of here with uh, this last question here. We got to end on a happy note. Sarcasm font. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Andy, does it remind anyone else that this team looks a lot like the 90s teams with a number 28 at the running back position and not much else? Uh, yes. And obviously he's referring to Corey Dillon, uh, 28. And, and <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, for those who follow, who are on Twitter, Jeremy Conley, if you follow him, he's the guy who dresses up as a Bengals version of captain obvious from the, uh, from the hotel. I think it's hotels.com commercials mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, he put out, he, he tweeted out a deal that was Corey Dillon's career rushing day the other day, which was, I, if you haven't seen that, it, it's pretty incredible because, they had Scott Mitchell at quarterback and, and nothing else, and yet he still racked up 278 yards on the ground that day, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, but, yes, there, yes and no. To me, this is a team that is either vastly underachieving based on the amount of high picks that are out there and, and all of that, or – this is a team that is not doing well in the draft. I think it's actually a little bit of both because high picks aren't playing. Certain high picks aren't playing for them or not playing well or have taken a step back this year. So I think there is more talent, overall talent on this team. I think it's underachieving, but there are some similarities. Your take, John. It's hard for a talented running back like Mixon to not do well, regardless of what his surroundings is, as long as the blocking's decent. Like, it's only so much that bad coaching can do to negatively affect a, a good running back like Dixon. And that's kind of like the same thing that was with Dylan when he had just Willie Anderson in front, but no one else and no one else on that entire team that was talented. Bengals just handed him off, handed the ball off to him 20, 30 times a, a game. And he ended up accumulating a, a, a crap ton of yards because of it. And it's kind of the same nature that could be with Mixon if they feed Mixon the ball, which they don't do because Bill Lazor historically doesn't do that as a play caller. But yeah, to your, to your point, there is, significantly more talent when you compare the two rosters because there is actually talented players. But as you said, most of the issues stem from coaching. Now they're not elevating those talented players to what they could be and definitely not getting the depth ready to play at all. And just a severe lack of depth in important areas that obviously injuries have affected and have caused this roster to look pretty, pretty freaking bare at this point with all the injuries that have come about. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat with you. Yes. That look like the brightest spot, but there's a reason for that it's because he's running back. There's only so much that a lack of coaching can negatively do to, to affect that. Yeah. And you know, Corey Dillon, I'm, I'm looking up his stats. Corey Dillon is basically, uh, he had basically 20, 20 carries a game. Um, and Mixon is, is far below that. We're going to, We've got one last call here, John. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it, and then we'll we will get out of here. So let me grab this. Hi, it's the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's John from Kentucky. John, what's going on, buddy? We're you're the last call of the night. What what's on your mind, my friend? Well, I'm 
just want to thank you and John both for doing this podcast each week because it, I'm sure it's getting to where it's hard to talk about the Bengals sometimes, you know? So I do appreciate you all doing this. Nah, thanks, I, buddy. I mean that seriously. Um, and you did mention earlier, Anthony, that maybe if the Bengals win their last few games or something, they'll bring Marvin back. Well, I don't think the Bengals win their last few games. I think it's Cleveland and Pittsburgh. I don't see them winning either one of those games, whether they bring Marvin back or not. I don't think I'll be surprised either way if he's not back or if he is back. So um, I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for the kind words, John. Always appreciate it and always appreciate you calling in. Um, Basically, to me, the only winnable game, obviously, of the, of the four remaining seems to be Oakland. And, boy, might that one be just ugly to watch in terms of <laughs> what's, what the product on the field will be for both of those teams. You know, I, I think if this, was a, if this was a team that maybe had Dalton or – not both, but Dalton or Green, I think they would have a shot at maybe, you know, winning a, another game or kind of make, making a run at an 8-8 eight eight now at this point. But I think – um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't really see a win there. And I think that if, if Marvin is going to pull out wins and he, and he somehow gets a win against Cleveland and or Pittsburgh, that will definitely open ownership's eyes for better or for worse uh, in terms of fan perspective. That, that will open ownership's eyes and say, you know, obviously Marvin finished the season with these two, with these two wins. John Sheeran, your your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I think thanks, six, John. Yeah, I, I think six wins is the the number that we're likely going to see, and it's probably going to be that winning against Oakland because as bad as the Bengals are, the Oakland are just that much worse, and they're playing at home for in front of probably thirty thousand people going to that game. So yeah, I, I I don't I don't see them winning those two games either because they're, they're playing with the disadvantage in the most important areas you know, coaching and quarterback. And it, it, again, like, like we, like we talked about, it'll just be an impossible sell for the team to possibly mark, you know, market this team with Marvin Lewis again, leading the, the team. And especially after, you know, at, at that point, what would it be like losing six out of the final eight games at that point? Yeah. It, 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 presumably if they win against Oakland, two straight division losses to close out the year, it would just be, it, it, it would be an impossible task for them to do to try to, to try to spin that into a positive and, you know, but again, this is the Bengals and Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown are inseparable until they are, they are separated. So we can't, it, it's just impossible to, to assume that it's actually going to happen until it actually happens. So I, I think I'm right with John from Kentucky. I would be equally, you know, I, I would be equally surprised both ways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame. It really is because even, even when the Bengals were, you know, in this one and three stretch, one and four stretch. I mean, there were still Cleveland's a winnable game. Denver should be a winnable game at both at home. Uh, you've got another game against Cleveland should be a winnable game. Um, you've got Oakland. I mean, it, even if it was a, a you're in the playoffs as a charlatan type of nine or ten win team, there was still an opportunity for this team to do something, even with the injuries and all that kind of stuff. I mean, these are games that. These are not for, formidable teams, uh, most of them in this in this stretch of games, and uh, th- I mean they are looking completely overmatched 
And uh, some of that has to do with the injuries, for sure. But they're looking completely overmatched. They're, get, they're two touchdown dogs this week against the Chargers. Um, you know, they lost by 14 against Denver. It's it just, it, 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 going back to the previous question, it does feel a, a, there is a 1990s stench about what's happening. And it, it's weird because it, this team just completely hit a brick wall this year. Uh, yeah. just, it, it, that Steelers loss just made him completely hit a brick wall, and uh, it's kind of been a tale of two seasons. It's it's really a shame, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot of changes for internally for this team to turn the corner again next next year. But we'll see if that happens. Thanks so much for all of your calls. We've had a, we had a number of calls. We missed some. I apologize. We couldn't get to all of them, and I apologize to our callers that we couldn't talk to you for longer periods of time. We'd love to just talk to you for. Hours and hours about the Bengals, if we could. But time is not on our side, as they say. But uh, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Art19, and CincyJungle.com. We appreciate the support. And uh, subscribe to those channels if you can. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI. Uh, we appreciate all the interaction in the live YouTube chat tonight. And... Um, if anyone's in Los Angeles this week, I will be at the game. I'll be there at, uh, watching the the Bengals hopefully cover a 14-point spread. And I guess that is my my final thought. So if, if anybody's going to the game, let me know. And uh, I'll try and meet up with you, whether it's at the tailgate or inside the game or whatever. But I uh, would love to see your meet. Listeners of this show, readers of Cincy Jungle both, or just fellow Bengals fans in general, uh, would love to see and meet some of you. So uh, if you are going to that game, please let me know and we'll try and meet up. I guess that's my final thought this week, John. Yours? Yeah, um, I already told Anthony this, but I don't think he's going to listen to me. If you do see Anthony at the game, make sure to give him like a Chargers jersey so he kind of fits <laughs> in the team. Um, I, I unfortunately can't be there. I'm about 3,000 miles away and I don't have the money for a Chargers jersey, but I know we got some loyal fans out there, maybe in the LA area. Help, help them out. Don't, don't, don't let them show up in the game in the Bengals jersey. <laughs> One of my good friends is a is a big Chargers guy. He's got season oh, tickets. Go. He's got it. Yeah, so uh, we're probably going to meet up with him, and um, yeah, he's going to give me the business, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> that's all right. It happens. Um, we'll have some fun regardless. Uh, it probably won't be the most fun game to watch, but uh, we get to see him in person for the first time this year, and. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they'll make a game of it. That's going to do it for us this week. You can still get in touch with us uh, on the various platforms that you can download the show. And um, on Twitter, we still got that poll running uh, for, for the head coaching options in 2019. If you want to comment or vote on that, please do. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Keep your, keep your chins up. Better times are coming, I hope. <laughs> this is the Georgia Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.